Hello, and welcome to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. I'm your host, Hugh Willard. Aging Well is a podcast for everyone in or approaching the retirement years. There's a lot to unpack here apart from the financial planning component, and we'll do just that. We'll explore new interests, priorities, and goals, and finding purpose for ourselves and in our relationships. Join me each episode as I share stories and chat with guests learning to live their best next act lives. Welcome back, everyone, to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. All of our topics, of course, are important, and um, it's good that we spend time across a, a myriad of issues and concerns that folks have in the third age time of life. So I don't want to make a, a qualitative distinction here, but I certainly am going to say that uh, the issue that my guest and I are going to be talking about today really is something that we all we don't have a way around this. We all are going to be faced in one form and manner or another with contending with issues around death and dying, terminal illness and caregiving for our loved ones as they go into that process. And this, of course, oftentimes will involve um, our elder parents, certainly may involve our spouses or our partners, our loved ones, and um, it's good that we have conversation about this. This is not something that, this is not a, an area that is always comfortable for people, but it is important that we have time and, and take the time to consider what the experiences may be about and how we may approach them in ways that are most helpful for us and for our loved ones. To that end, I am grateful to have as my guest today, Hippa. Cutter Humphrey. She is a social worker. She is a licensed clinical social worker in North Carolina. She spent 10 years working with Transitions, which was originally um, titled Hospice, was called Hospice of Wake County. Before transitioning into um, a smaller private practice that shifted the focus more in the direction of bereavement work. Uh, still um, an important adjunct to the overall process of caregiving for loved ones um, involved with the process of death and dying. So Pippa, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate you taking time to come on and, and share some of your experiences with us. Well, I'm happy to do it. So Let's start with, maybe you can share a little bit about your time at Transitions and some takeaways, and, and, and that can sound like a, a very transactional and crass way to say that, and I don't mean that to be in any way um, diminishing of, of the, the character of those experiences, but maybe you can share a little bit about things that you learned um, in your time there uh, and your work with folks who were going through the process. Uh, well, I learned a, a, a lot of different things on a lot of different levels. I mean, as far as the people that work in hospice, I learned that it's definitely a calling. Everybody that works in hospice has a reason why they're there, um, because of mostly because of past experiences with death and dying or hospice or lack of hospice. Um, 
So it's, uh, it's one of those fields where you're, you're with people who are like-minded and you're all going for the same goal and it sounds ideal, but in lots of ways, it really was um, from just an employee standpoint. Um, you know, every family has a different story, has a different history. Um, every family brings their own views of death and dying into the equation for caregiving for whether it be a father, mother, spouse, child. Um, and so, you know, what I learned from that really is uh, how universal death is, but at the same time, time how unique each family's and each person within that family's experience um, is of caregiving of grief of you know dying the the whole gamut it's it was very um interesting and enlightening for me to see uh how people bring themselves to that process and um whether you know a lot of times in hospice nowadays, um, families are getting into the hospice process later when the patient is at a, a more terminal stage. And so as hospice went, as my time with hospice went on, most of the work was with the families because the patient themselves was very ill and not <clears throat> at a place where they're processing the um, experience of their own. So, um, it, it, the, the way our culture affects the way people look at death, um, you know, on a very broad scale comes down into those family moments where, you know, family members who are not comfortable with death or hospice will tell the social workers, don't tell dad that he's on hospice, you know, because they don't want to give up. And, and then you go into another family where, the, the patient actually asked for hospice or they, um, the family reached out to hospice. And, and so it just runs the full, the full gamut there. You mentioned, and, and that's an interesting, it's, it's contradictory, but true when you describe there's universal character and, and quality to the experience. And yet there's also the very unique, um, experience that that folks go through which certainly i would uh, expect that for you all in the role of professional support staff uh really required you, presence you couldn't mail that in you had to be present yes you know, and and open experience. to yes very much so kind of how does this family look at death what does this mean for the family um what are the relationships with the person who's dying because those all affect um, the way they cope, um, whether they were close with dad, if he's uh, terminally ill, that that daughter or wife is going to be feeling very differently than someone that may be estranged. It's just very complex, all of the factors that come in um, to sort of processing and dealing with that in the family. Right. And, and so you can, again, think about there's these individuals and there's this collective. So there's this system and so I, I imagine there's there is attention paid to looking at with without um, dictating terms for the loved ones and you know the family members as to how they should go about this process. I, I and and correct me on this, but it, it seems as though there would be 
an important sort of process of um, looking at resilience and, and resource character to what a person or a family or system has that is going to be helpful in the process. And then also seeing where there may be some deficits or liabilities and what would be the role for you all as the professional supports to, 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 to be a part of facilitating some, some help in those areas. Right, exactly. Yes, yes. Some families have been through um, deaths before, have been through experiences with hospice before. You're going to come at, those families are going to come at us or join with us in a very different way from a family that this is the first death and they didn't want hospice anyway. You know, it means you're giving up. And um, so the, the educational needs, the support needs are going to be completely different. Sure. Noting that over your time with transitions and then of course into the bereavement work that you are currently engaged with, um, do you see common areas or issues? And, and again, I know we talk about the, the universal character and the unique character, but the, in the aggregate, do you see some common um, issues that, that folks come with? And, and, and the, the idea here being that um, folks who might be listening to this, this episode of this podcast, wherever they may be, and in all likelihood, they may be either in, in not in a state of, of having to contend with this or maybe early in a state of having to contend with this. The, the consideration, the assumption being that if they're further along the process, hopefully they're plugged into some resources. Certainly right. we hope they're plugged into some resources. So they may be more um, already you know, involved in a process for themselves. So, so it, it, thinking about are there, are there certain common dynamics that folks who not who are not yet in the in this uh, time of life or maybe who are just early into it are there some things that folks may want to pay attention to that they would want to orient to in terms of preparation yes um definitely from just a logistical uh standpoint is having end of life discussions sort of throughout our lifespan um you know, with, hey, what would you want, you know, if you couldn't swallow or do you want IVs? What do you want to do? Do you want to be even, you know, do you want to be buried or cremated or, and these conversations are so difficult um, for good reason. I mean, we're not a culture in general that's open about death and dying. And so people have to kind of find their own way, unfortunately. Um, but having end of life conversations, having when you get into your 50s, 60s, 70s, having some of these healthcare power of attorney documents, DNRs, having the conversations about what you would like and what you wouldn't like in the event that you were, you know, incapacitated, that can be such a gift to family who's trying to take care of people at uh, you know, and know that, well, mom told me that she wanted this, so I will do this. And instead of, I had to pull the plug on mom. I mean, it's a very different feeling um, when you don't know what they want. Right. Yeah, it's those, as you said, those are tough conversations, but so important. Um, yes. And, and certainly can be just really um, instrumental in creating a better outcome. Um, 
or a yes. better process, I should say, creating a better yes. process for all involved. Yes. You know, as you move further into it. Yes, definitely. That would be the one thing, it, um, you know, is making sure that you've communicated if you're, you know, in your 70s or 80s, what, what it is you want. Is it quality versus quantity? Keep me alive at all costs. You know, that, that if that's communicated, the family will do that. Or if I can't breathe on my own, or if I'm not going to come back, then I don't want to live like that, you know, quantity versus quality versus quantity. So, you know, sort of having an orientation, even in the more general way is very helpful for family because those regrets or guilt can can be pervasive after the family member dies it's like i i killed her uh, you know just just it's very hard to to sort of work through something like that and sure. it's not it's not necessary if you've had the conversations prior for our listeners um Pippa and I, we had a, a conversation a few months back. I actually interviewed her for my book. And so she was sharing some of her insights that were very instructive and helpful for me. And these, these pieces that Pippa was just speaking to, they speak to what seems to be very practical in nature. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for many of us, it's important to in a sense, demystify this mm -hmm. experience. And I want to say that with respect because it's, it's, a, it's a dominant life experience um, for all of us. Mm -hmm. but, um, but there are very, you know, th there, are, there are practicalities that really, I think, form the foundation that are going to help us move through, that we can get into uh, a lot of the existential character of things and what our values and belief systems are and, and those matter and, and they have impact for folks as, and, and Pip is nodding as I'm saying these things. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, so um, but I think maybe we can lose the sense that uh, we need to attend to, you know, the ground. We need to attend to the, the, the very practical uh, considerations that are gonna help us in the process. Um, I'd ask Pippa back when we had our first conversation, what makes a good death? Um, and I was thinking more in these more abstractions and, and higher order things. And she went right to these, these very practical considerations and, and it makes all the sense in the world. So, yeah, so. Yeah, you just see the, um, you just see the potential impact of not having had those conversations um, on emotional impact on, you know, the caregivers when you're working, you know, one-on-one -on -one with them and it's hard, that, that part is hard, you know. And, and sure. And, you know, it's, you, you, uh, early on in the, in the conversation, you mentioned, uh, the, I guess the, the collegial mm -hmm. nature of, of, uh, working in a setting like hospice or transitions. And that just seems so incredibly important because of mm -hmm. the nature of the work. Yes, it, it really is. Tough Absolutely. Work. Yeah. 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 So you've shifted over to bereavement work. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience for you? What's that like? Yeah, um, it is a very meaningful work in general um, because, as you as you said earlier, death 
uh, death of a family member, or a close, a loved one is, is life-changing regardless of when it happens, um, meaning whether it's, you know, when the parent is in their 60s or the parent is in their 40s or the parent is in their 80s, it doesn't matter. It's still hugely significant um, as far as, you know, how family members uh, metabolize that from the standpoint of like, it, it, it just is life-changing. And um, it's one of the hardest things I think we all go through um, is the death of someone very close to us. And so change is very possible under those circumstances. Um, and it's amazing to watch that happen. So for me, um, watching people sort of recover um, and sort of shift their priorities and reintegrate and, and move back into life is, is really, um, it's, it's very meaningful work to be a companion to those people who are doing that hard work. So right. it's, it's, it's a different trajectory from the standpoint of it's like you, you, and I said this before, you sort of meet people when they're at their at their lowest, so to speak, emotionally there, and, and you watch them sort of rise um, to meet the challenge. And um, so as contrasted with the transitions or the hospice work, you're, you're sort of um, journeying with or being witness to a person's going down into the, the challenge and the darkness of that, or the hardness of that, I should say. Yes, yes. I mean, describing the the contrast. Yeah. yes, the caregiving of someone who is terminally ill is very different than caregiving for someone that has a broken leg um, or, you know, is, and is expected to fully recover. The end of life caring, caregiving has this sort of pervasive sadness to it. It's, it's, there's always, whether it's a low hum or whether they're, you're actually like struck by that, that they're dying and you're caring for someone that's dying. And that is a bur is, is hard, is hard. You know, it's something that is very hard for caregivers, obviously, you know, to, to sort of do the care and have the emotional um, sadness that they're that, carrying that, along with that it. experience, right? And then to go into the bereavement side, that is about the ascent that you're describing. Yes, reintegration. You could see it as an ascent, or you could, yeah. I mean, I see it that way. I don't know that you know the people that are going through it that see it that way. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's a very uneven I, process, right? It is. It's lots of ups and downs, and. Um, yeah, and they feel like they're not making progress, but they are, and it's just, it's a, it's an amazing thing to watch people, you know, go through that. Any particular um, anecdotes or, and, and protecting, of course, people's um, identities, but any, any anecdotes that might um, flesh out or illustrate what you're describing more? Yeah, I mean, I, I could say over and over again um, how people, like I have one client who uh, I think this is year three, was completely devastated, understandably, about the death of her husband. She's young and uh, she, she uh, provided care for him at end of life and um, 
they had a very strong relationship and she was devastated and you know over this three-year time period for her it was three years some people it's longer some people are shorter um she has found joy again and that's something that people she'll say she'll use that word and that's something that she and many people ask the question will i ever feel joy again and because they can't think of how they ever could and in they the throes do of the experience right? yes yeah. and they do yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, it takes a while. Uh, it takes everybody their own time, but they do find joy again, most people. One of the um, pillars of the, the work that I do, that, that I think you do, that we do, um, is the understanding of and the coming to identity. And there are certain pieces of our identity that are core, that's, that remain with us throughout our lives. And then there are other parts of our identity that, of course, are going to be shaped by the quality and, and tenor of our experiences. Mm-hmm. And so certainly that is a, in, in different ways for different people, that's going to be, can be a dominant um, part of their work. Who am I? Mm-hmm. Um, who am I as a caregiver? Um, and then also after my loved one has died who you know, am i now what do i who am i now and mm-hmm. um yeah so is that something that is a part of the the bereavement work or do you see very that much so yeah. very much so um with spouses particularly um mm-hmm. there's the question of who am i now it was always the two of us now it's, it was a we and now it's just me um and and you know, who am I without that person um, with, with children who've lost a second parent, that is a, a, a shift in identity as well, that they are now the older generation, very, very often they feel their a sense of their own mortality, a sense of sort of if there was some caregiving, what do I want to do with my life now? Um, you know, who am I now? How am I going to live out the, the next 20 years if they're 60? You know, what, who, who am I? And, you know, going through a traumatic experience for some death is traumatic and, and some deaths are traumatic. Um, you know, having gone through that, they have a, a sense of uh, strength that they didn't know that they perhaps had before um that wow if I can get through this I can get through anything um and so that's sort of a way of looking at themselves again I didn't know I was this strong um you know just kind of finding out strengths that they didn't know they had um prior to the experience and and you know a renewed sense of the importance of relationships and so you'll see a shifting priority that you know this, these small things don't matter anymore. These are the things that matter to me, my connections with people, my relationships. Um, people's values tend to shift after going through something like that. But again, these are all generalities. Everybody is so different um, in the way they, they integrate this. But you know, losing two parents in the generation above you and being that older generation now it's like, I'm going to die, <laughs> you know? 
Well, you know, on, on a personal note, that's um, I, I I've had that thought on numerous occasions. Uh, both of my parents have passed away, and um, just a few, just right before the pandemic, my last remaining, well, excuse me, um, I had two remaining. I had an an aunt and an uncle, not 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 married, but they on my mom's side, and her sister, my aunt, passed away just before the pandemic. And so now there's just my uncle Wally um, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he is very old and, you know, infirmed in, in his own way. So, um, so, you know, on that side, he's the last remaining I do have. And um, my dad's brother and sister are still living, but um, so, but, but I, I have a sense of that encroaching, if, if that's the right word to use that, yeah. that sort of coming in that, that's going to feel very different to me um, to be at that point to be the older generation. Yeah, it does. And I don't know that that's something that, well, I, I wouldn't have expected that 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 generation is an emotion, an emotional buffer as well. You know, right. and once it's gone, it's like, oh, okay, I'm the matriarch of the family now, or I'm next. Right. Both of those, right? <laughs> yeah, right. it's, yeah. It, it that'll that'll change things it'll get your attention yes it will <laughs> yeah. well pippa i really appreciate you taking a few moments to talk with us today this is such an important topic and if folks are not familiar um i i encourage you to please reach out and you can google search for hospice there may be some different names, but I'm going to assume that the the links uh, or, or the connections can get you over to the right resources wherever you may be here in central mm -hmm. North Carolina, specifically in Wake County by the Capitol Raleigh. We have transitions, as I said at the beginning of the of the episode. And uh, but but these are important and wonderful resources. And so I, I definitely encourage folks to to seek those out as so needed and indicated. So once yeah. again, thank you very much, Pippa. Appreciate your time and, um, and, and your work as well. Well, thank you. You have been listening to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. I am author, psychotherapist, and life coach, Hugh Willard. To learn more about this podcast, listen to other episodes, and discover resources related to our guests and topics, please go to our website, findingbeautyinthegray.com. If you have comments or questions or would be interested in sharing your story with us, we'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at findingbeautyinthegray.com. Aging Well is produced by Willow Way Creations with sound engineering by Garrison Locke. Theme music is written and performed by yours truly with Greg McGee and Garrison Locke. Thanks everyone for joining us. We hope you will be with us again next week.